Good evening, LCM. Tonight is Wednesday, November 18th. Do not try to adjust your TV screens or your computer monitors or rub your eyes. You are, in fact, seeing two Sutherland husbands on the stage at the same time. You're seeing two, not double vision. It's all right. Guys, do you remember the phenomenal word that we had on Sunday? I know with me and my family, it's been opening our eyes to God's heart for the nations. Has God been doing that for you guys too? Yeah, man. Look, we read scriptures like Psalm chapter 2. We're going to put it on the screen. We've got some scriptures tonight, and we're going to invite you to try to keep up. We're going to go where we need to go tonight. Psalm chapter 2 and verse 7 says this, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. Ask me. Go ahead. Ask me. And I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. Come on now. This is an incredible thing that the Lord is beginning to speak to us. He's been speaking to us to us for a long time about these topics. This is not the first time we've ever read Psalm 2 or talked about the land and the region of a swan. But there's something that he's doing in our midst. The Lord has proclaimed a decree. He said something. He has set in motion a great work. One that is entitled and intended to reach the nations of this earth. The work is based on a father-son relationship. Somebody say family. Family. A father-son relationship is what this is based on. And that's supposed to give you a confidence. Somebody in the room say confidence. Confidence. Come on, are you lacking confidence? Because the Lord intends to give you confidence like a son who can ask a father, like a father who can direct a son. The confidence causes us to ask him to make the nations our inheritance. And specifically here at LCM, we are saying, Lord, we are asking for the nations of the Aswan region of the world. I want to show you the slide just so this becomes very, very familiar to you. Incredibly familiar that they're in the yellow. Somebody say yellow. Yellow. It's not fear. It's designed that it's perfect for us, that God has his glory, his golden nature that's falling upon this divine region. What you see here is the region of a swan. Here we have a list of the modern day countries that are in that. 27 countries. 27 countries, you see them there. Everything from Romania to Oman. Not Omai, but Oman. From the border of India there in Pakistan. All the way through Egypt and Libya. All the way up through the northern part of Romania, the northeastern section of Romania. You see the countries that are there, that are in the region of Aswan. But we have even something better for you. Take a look at this next slide. You see this in this next slide. You see the region of a swan overlaid with a current map of the world. By the way, we did a quick tabulation the other day. And there are approximately 777 million people in the Aswan region. It's about a seventh of the nations of the world that are represented here. One of my favorite parts from Sunday is this revelation that came to your pastors that a hope is beginning to be alive on the inside of you. The revelation that I am the Aswan team. 
the revelation that you are the Aswan team. Somebody say it with me. Say, I am the Aswan team. I am the Aswan team. Man, that should be moving inside of your heart. It's one thing to look at other families and be like, yes, they, they are the Aswan team. That's not what God called LCM to be. He called us. He called all of us to be able to say inside your heart, I am the Aswan team. This is where I'm going. And if it's not where I'm going, it's where I'm going to send my kids or my grandkids or the disciples that are produced from my life. Come on now, church. Let's all turn to Genesis 49 just to keep reminding ourselves of what Sunday was all about. Genesis 49.10. It says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Until he to whom it belongs shall come. And the obedience of the nation shall be his. Guys, to me, this was the most impactful scripture uh, the whole service on Sunday. Mm. See, when we can catch a glimpse of his majesty, we can catch a glimpse of his worthiness, of his power, of his love that he's poured out for us. It causes our hearts to burn intensely for what his heart burns intensely for. It causes us to catch a glimpse uh, of what his heart is beating passionately for. And it makes me want to give it to him. Guys, it makes me want to give all that I have to give him the obedience of the nations. Church with a message that had such global implications. Literally. Global implications. We want to help everyone focus on some very practical aspects tonight. Y'all ready to go with us in this journey? Oh, yeah. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 5. Everybody in the room, turn into 1 John chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 2. Say, there when you get there. 1 John 5 and verse 2. It says this. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God (laughs) and carrying out His commands. Verse 3, this is love for God. You ready? I mean, I know you guys are Bible scholars. I know you've read this. I know you memorized it in the Greek. I mean, I get all that. I, I know this, is, this may seem like a familiar passage to it, but let's read it as if we were engaging it for the first time. This is love for God. Whatever should come next is a very, very important statement in the kingdom of God. This is love for God to obey his commands. Wow. Obedience is the same thing as love in the kingdom. His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory. Man, I love the Apostle John. At this point in his life, at this point in his ministry, do you see how he's starting almost each verse with this is? He's letting you know what it is, what you're looking at. This is how we know. This is love for God. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes, who loves and obeys that Jesus is the Son of God. Church, how we show our love and affection for the Lord is through obedience. Can somebody say amen? Amen. You already knew that part, though. You knew that part. Considered in light of Genesis 49.10 that the obedience of the nations is his. What is he saying? He's saying that the obedience of the nations is showing and is going to show the love of the nations for him. 
that tonight we're trying to help each and every one of us cultivate a greater love for the Lord in what we're doing. This is love. Somebody say, this is love. This is love. This is love is that we obey Him. We obey Him in every situation. His commands aren't burdensome. Do you know why? Why aren't His commands burdensome? Because they're the only way that we get to show Him that we really love Him. Come on. That we don't have to, we need to show them that we love Him. And how do we do that? We get to obey what He said. Therefore, His commands aren't burdensome. Why are they not burdensome? It's no burdensome, no more burdensome than a husband who loves his wife and gets to delight in uh, showing him, showing her his love. That's not a burdensome task. To fall in love. With a great king and show him your love through your obedience. See, there's joyful news. There's a joyful news that we have for you. Is that everyone born of God overcomes the world. If you're actually born of God, you will overcome the world. Some of you may look at that and see that as a task. You may hear that as, oh my goodness. Everyone born of God. Well, I sure do hope I'm born of God. Well, that is one way to do that. The other way to look at it is, am I born of God? Yes. Then I'm going to overcome the world. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. It is a promise of victory that we have that we will, in fact, if we are born of God, if we have love that is demonstrated in obedience, you are going to overcome every single thing that this world might have to offer. All of the enemy can throw at you. You are going to overcome it. Now, this is more than just a small thing, but we're going to keep going tonight. Come on, somebody say, I was born for this. I was born for this. In our dealings with the world, our flesh, spiritual forces, our jobs, our co-workers, evil landladies like some of you guys have. <laughs> That's pretty specific. <laughs> and divisive family members, we are born to overcome. We're born to overcome this world. And tonight, uh, do you guys remember... The prophecies from Sunday, and you should remember the prophecies from tonight. All of them were talking about how we can overcome, how we were born to overcome, how we have no excuse not to overcome because he's given us the power. Amen. See, the Lord is crushing fear as he's setting up uh, the great vision that we have of a swan. He is also equipping us. He's showing us that we are born for this, that we are born to go and take the nations. We are born again for this. Amen? You see, something uh, dawned on us while we were studying. It dawned on us while, while we were working this out is, uh, what's the avenue that we overcome the world with? See, we're, we're like, yes, we're born for this. We're born to overcome the world. Yeah. But how? How does it show up? It shows up with our intense love for Christ that shows up in obedience. If we obey his words, if we obey the leading of his spirit and obey the way of life that this body holds out, hear me, church, we will have victory in every single way. We will have victory and we will have the heart of our father on our side. It's through obedience that we overcome the world. That is the vehicle and that is the avenue that we do this. Let me say this another way for you. That victory is found on the other side of obedience. 
Victory is found on the other side of obedience. If you're waiting for something to happen in your life, I promise you, if you're waiting for a victory, if you're looking for it, you're going to have to get to the other side of obedience. You're going to have to complete what the Lord is saying, and you're going to see that that victory is, is there ready for you. That brings us to the title of tonight's sermon, by the way. It's on the other side of obedience. Come on. Come on now. Let's turn to John chapter 15 and verse 13. Say obedience when you get there. John 15, 13. Obedience. Obedience. (laughs) You got to be obedient and say obedience when you get there. (laughs) John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this. They lay down his life for his friends. Then he laid down his actual life. See, we have some things around our church building. Die for my brother's vision. I believe that there's going to be some uh, revelation coming in our hearts as a church. I believe that not only about the Aswan region, but as you're looking around, as you're walking in your life, as people like Leslie are becoming a part, a son of this house, and bringing up his family to be the same. I think what you're going to start doing is realizing that these placards that are on the wall are more than just a mantra for you. They're more than just words that you get to say, like an echo back. You get to, it's a call and response. If you're, if you're playing in jazz music, you, you, you're just responding to what has already been said. See, to die for your brother's vision, it actually shows that you have love. Greater love has no man than this. Then you lay down your life for your friends. That you die for your brother's vision. And as a matter of fact, the more that you learn to do that, the clearer that the vision becomes of what you were put on this planet to do. See, this passage ties love and obedience together again. That what you do with your life, that you laying down your life, is always a sign of love. You laying down your own choices, you laying down your own desires, it is the sign of love. Babe, I really love you. Here's the remote control. (laughs) That's true love. For some of y'all, I know how y'all are. And for either one of you to share part of your meal, it's hitting you right in the feels right then. Don't you touch my food. To lay down your life for your friend is a sign of great love and it's a sign of great obedience to the Lord. Let's look at verse 14. Come on. Verse 14 says you are my friends if you do what I command. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Guys, in our house, in this house, We are his friends because this house is built off of obedience. Our hearts that long to seek the Lord and do what he says. The Lord does not view us as slaves. He views us as friends. And because we are his friends, he is pouring out immense revelation on this house about what he plans to do. No, that's true. As you're looking at the idea of friends, this doesn't take some uh, weird song produced here in this town to declare to everyone that you're a friend of God. You're not a friend of God just because you declare it. I am a friend of God. You're not a friend because you sing the song. What makes you a friend of God? You do what he says. Come on. 
What does that prove? It proves that you love Him when you do what He says. He's not going to call you a servant. He's not going to call you a slave. He's going to say, I'm going to be your friend because you're doing what I'm telling you to do. I can let you know why I'm doing it. I can let you know more than just the low-level information. Why? Because we're His friends and there's a relationship that's developing. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. That is one of my favorite statements in the Bible. You did not choose God. Well, I found Jesus when I was seven years old. You didn't find anything. (laughs) He chose you. Come on. And appointed you so that you might go. Somebody say go. Go. And bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Man, this sounds like the right kind of friendship that's developing. Church, I want to encourage you in something. If you're hearing the grand call that is before us as a church, and you're just awakening to this, first of all, welcome to the party. We're glad you're here. If you're just now awakening to this, if you've been walking in this way of life, and you've been thinking things like, yes, I'm not sure that I can do that, though. I think I would rather put down on the leadership and show how weak they are. No, that's an easy task. Super easy task. Now, see, the thing that you have to remember is we didn't choose this. We didn't choose him. He chose us. And if he chose you to be here, then it's for a reason. He chose you to be here. Why? So you could feel like a failure. Absolutely not. He chose you. You didn't choose you. We didn't choose you. He chose you. This should start bringing life to your soul. If He chose you, then He's going to help you. But He didn't just choose us. That's awesome. As the guy who often got picked last in most things, I I like getting chosen. But he also appointed you. He didn't just select you. He appointed you. There's a reason. So that you might go. Somebody say go. Go. So that you might go and bear fruit. Come on now. He's going to choose you, appoint you, so that you and I might go and bear lasting fruit. That's what he's chosen you for. He didn't choose you just to to have a ride along here. To watch other people have the adventure. He chose you to go and bear fruit. Go where? Go everywhere you need to go. Go where He's leading you to go. As a church, as a ministry, we're going towards the Aswan reason. Come on with us and go and bear some lasting fruit, church. So that, as if that wasn't good enough. So that, whatever you ask In Jesus' name, the Father will give you. You should be hearing Psalm 2 just echoing in the back of your mind right now. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give it. Somebody say, ask. Ask. Come on, ask of me. Ask me and I'll give you the nations. You ask me. Why? Because you've been chosen. 
This place has been chosen. You're here so that you might go and bear lasting fruit and that you can ask for the nations and the Father Himself will give it to you. Come on now. This has got to impact the way that we live in an everyday kind of life because He's worthy of our love-based obedience. He's worthy of this. And He said He's chosen us and He's going to help you. This is such a powerful truth for us tonight. Church, but if it's so easy to see... It, there's not a person in this room who would disagree with what I just said. We're trying to build our lives on this. Then why is it so difficult in really loving the Lord this way? Why do we get so distracted? Why does it become difficult for us to follow? Let's turn to Genesis 17 and let's find out how we can give the Lord what He is due. Start in verse 15. Say obedience when you get there. Obedience. God also said to Abram, as for, your wife, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. You, her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations and kings of peoples will come from her. Wow. Guys, here we see that God gave a promise to Abraham. He gave very immediate promises. And he also gave promises about the nations that would come from him. Yeah. See, here in this body, how many of you guys have received a promise from the Lord in here? Anybody? Has the Lord been good to anybody yeah. in here? He has chosen us. He has given us very immediate things that we can look forward to. And he's given us the promise about the nations. He says, this is what you will accomplish. This is what this body will do. See, as he's doing that in our lives, he's giving you something immediate to let you know that the bigger part of this promise is going to hold true as well. The kids that line our stages on any service, promises from the Lord. Those of what God is doing in your life, promises from the Lord that you're seeing fulfilled in a very daily kind of practical now kind of way. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is now. You could see it. It's supposed to give you the confidence to know that the rest of what he's promised will also come about. But look what happens in verse 17. Abraham fell face down. Now, now look up at me. Don't read the rest of it yet. Pretend like you don't already know what's coming in this verse. Abraham fell down. He fell face down. Man, I'm expecting the next part of this to be that Abraham began to worship. Thank you, Lord, for this great promise of sonship. Wow, this is incredible. The God of all creation himself spoke to me. This is awesome. 17. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? <laughs> I mean, I mean, really. I mean, will Sarah bear a child at 90 years old? <laughs> The problem with this is, this is the father of the faithful. He is saying here, and he heard a promise from God, a declaration that was more than just a single child, but allowed his wife to be called a mother of nations, that kings of peoples would come from them. Abraham didn't choose himself any more than any of us in this room have. 
But what was happening was there was something that seemed impossible that was promised and set out before him. And Abraham had to laugh. He had to scoff at it in his own heart and say, I just don't see how that could happen. It could be the same way that some of us in the room look at a promise of a swan. Look at a promise of ministry. Look at something going on and actually changing in our life. And the truth is, is God can say it to us directly as God spoke to Abraham. He can say it right to our face. <laughs> I mean, really? Can be the attitude of our heart. Abraham was made to overcome because of loving obedience, yet he still had to deal with the prevailing issues of unfaithfulness that is bound in the heart of every human being, of every man and every woman when we hear the commands of God. Has anyone ever had something that the Lord said to you that you just felt like it was too much? You just couldn't do it. Huh? You want me to do what? Wait. What is the promise? Oh, I love it. It's so fantastic. And my eyes are watering. And it's beautiful. And then you think about it for two days and be like, oh my goodness. I have to be honest, I've done that. You're supposed to be a pastor at LCM. That is awesome. Thank you, Lord, for your good. Wait a minute, that's really tough. Anybody understand what I'm talking about tonight? Where you allow an unfaithful, unbelieving, fearful heart to even cloud the most direct promise from God himself. When we laugh internally, when we hear the, about the impossibility of the task before us. When you find all the reasons that we can. Hey God, I'm a hundred years old. How am I supposed to have a son? Some of the promises that God has given some of you feels just as impossible as that. Some of the direction that God is beginning to open up in your heart. When you think about what you're having trouble even verbalizing what God is beginning to say to you because of the implications that are there and the laughter in your own heart. We have a great vision before us. We are going to get to the fullness of the vision that God has given. He chose us. He declared it. He proclaimed it. But what we have to do is walk through these honest parts of our heart and cleanse ourselves so that we can get to the other side of obedience. And this unfaithfulness in our hearts keeps us from getting to the other side of obedience. Because you're no longer operating in faith. Come on, let's, let's, let's look at this thought further. Guys, Paul says something along these same lines. He talks about the good that he wants to do. Guys, there's a lot of good that I want to do. There's a lot of good that I want to do for the Lord. I want to bring obedience to the nations. There's a lot of things that he's worthy of. But Paul also talks about, he says, but there's also something right beside me. He said, there's something right beside me. And it's a sinful nature at work. See, Often, many times, most of the time that I'm trying to do something good for the Lord, there's also that thing called unbelief that is inherent in mankind. See, this evil of unfaithfulness, this evil of unbelief is prevalent in our everyday lives. And recently, the Lord has been showing me just how prevalent it is in my life. Praise God. (laughs) And it's more than just a singular incident. 
It's not like one thing happened and then I realized, oh, I, I didn't believe in that area like I should have. It, he, was, he was showing me my character. Who I am as a human being is unfaithful. Is this happening to anybody when you're praying through the tabernacle? You start off praying about singular items and then you realize that those singular items are connected and you're like, this is not just a singular thing. This is my character. Oh, I wish I could say it was just a mistake, but it's part of who I am. Lord, I need to lay this on the altar. This is what Gabe is talking about, where he's showing you something more than just a mistake. He's showing you something in the sinful nature that must be dealt with. And praise God that he does. Yeah, amen. Because I can start working on it. <laughs> See, this has been a good season for me. Uh, it's been a season full of blessings and a season full of refining. It's good in every sense of the word. <laughs> See, as a newly married man, um, I could, had, had, I to could get, say, had to get that in there. Yeah. I could say that I've been gaining a lot more responsibilities, to say the least. <laughs> And the Lord starting, he started by refining my heart, and uh, he used my job to do it. I think I'm the only one that that's ever happened to. <laughs> See, the Lord has given me the promises and the responsibility of being a provider, spiritually, physically, to be a provider. See, but insecurity started to turn my job into a bitter burden. See, first... Uh, yeah. First John talks about how his commands are not burdensome. Because of our love for God. When we love God, the things that he's put before us, like going to Mexico, like, like attacking the things that are in front of us, like going to a swan, those things are not burdensome because of our love for the king. But what the Lord was showing me in my circumstance is that... The insecurity and unfaithfulness in my heart about being able to provide for my family, about walking in obedience and trusting him, uh, it caused my job to turn into a bitter burden for me for a while. See, what the Lord gave me to provide and to progress actually became something that was stealing my confidence. See, I started to doubt um, that I would become what I needed to become for the tasks ahead. Um. I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to ask you to say that again. L listen, listen to what he's saying. Say that again. When I was looking at the things set before me, I started to doubt that I would become all that I needed to become for the tasks ahead. Has anybody ever felt that? Yeah. Get assigned a task and you start realizing, you actually start resenting the task. Why? Because you're afraid. You're afraid that you're not going to be enough to complete it. Whatever that is before you. See, I would make daily decisions out of fear. Uh, I was trying to be a good provider. I was trying to be the, gress, the greatest employee ever. And I didn't want to look like I was a bad employee. And so I would do things trying to compensate. And it actually caused me to mess up. It actually caused me to make more mistakes than I ever would have made because I kept giving in to fear and unbelief. See, in my job... Like Abraham, I was producing Ishmael's. I made a lot of mistakes at work because I was afraid that I wouldn't be a good provider. See, it's a responsibility. It's something that the Lord gave me and then I have to be obedient with. 
And on top of that, the Lord spoke to us very recently about start trying to have kids. So, Amen. No announcement yet. But the Lord spoke to us. We're two months, a little over two months married, and the Lord is speaking to us about starting to have kids. And so I'm wrestling with like, yeah, I got a wife. Now I have the responsibility of a wife. Yeah, the Lord has given me promises of sons. And the responsibility is starting to um, be anticipated. And so all of these things that are very real, very attached, started making me afraid. Could I actually do it? Could I, could I actually see God's promises come about? And see, when we let fear fester in our hearts, it comes true 100% of the time. I was afraid of how people would view me at work. And so you know what happened? Is people did not view me very good at work because I was afraid of how they would view me. See, this is true every time. And this is, um, in Numbers 14, the Israelites had a promise from the Lord. They had a mandate of obedience. It's called the promised land for a reason because it was given to them. But only two people went in. Because those two people were full of faith and love uh, for the Lord, and they were willing to obey no matter what. They got to go into the land. But the Israelites, what did they say? They said, there's giants in the land. That's a lot of land to take. We can't do it. I know the Lord's given it to us, but we're not going to be able to take it. So what happened is they were not able to take it. What we let fester in our hearts, the unbelief that is native in our own hearts, if we let it stay there in an area, we won't see what God has planned for us come about. Hey, you may not know this, but I know this as Gabriel's father. He actually had prophecies about him being a good provider in his home. Financially, spiritually, in every way that he would be a good provider. Do you know what he took that and did? Was he turned that about being a fear and trying to orchestrate it in his own instead of just walking in obedience and love for the Lord? The very thing that God promised him, like the promised land for the Israelites, then became a burden and a thing that he was falling under the weight of. He was getting crushed by the very thing that had been promised to him by the heavens. At least that's just my son, right? The very thing that's supposed to be and encourage you to say, you can do this. I'm promising it to you. I'm giving it to you. I'm strengthening you for it. Becomes the thing that we then begin to walk in our own strength and fear. And we get swamped over by it. But praise God, there's an answer. Amen. Amen. See, the Lord has been refining this, but he's also been removing it out of me. He's been showing me the answer to this problem. See, and we, instead of a prevailing unbelief, we have to have a prevailing faithfulness to the Lord. Amen. What I've been realizing is that our obedient faith and our sincere love is the only vehicle in which that we can see victory. Daily steps of obedience from love can turn any situation around. See, the Lord is turning my situation around. He's turning my heart around. I'm not walking around every day afraid of whether or not I'll be able to provide, afraid of whether or not I'll be able to live up to what I'm supposed to live up to. See, the Lord is rooting that out of me because he has a plan and he has a goal that we need to be obedient to. We have to elevate our love for him. 
We have to elevate our obedience to his name and his way. Faith is the only way that we can win, church. The truth is, is that God is so extraordinarily faithful. When you hear a promise like uh, Romans eight fourteen that those who are the sons of the, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, you can let that be a pressure that you have to walk around and try to be led by the Spirit all the time, or you can realize that you're a son and He's going to lead you. That is a very, very different perspective. One is a burden. One is a chain around you. One pushes you down, and it's not the word's fault. It's not the prophecy's fault in you. It's the unfaithful heart, the fearful heart that says, <laughs> it's the fearful heart. It's the unfaithful heart that's the problem. His promise was good to you. It was supposed yeah. to encourage you to run and be full of faith and be like, oh, today was hard. But guess what? He promised me that I can do this. He told me from before I even knew about it. He chose me. He pulled me out of where I was from. And what he did with that is that he empowered me. If I'll just keep going, if I'll just get to the other side of this obedience, I'll see that everything he promised is in fact going to come about. That everything that I've asked him for is in fact what the Father is going to give to me. Church, we need to build our confidence through obedience tonight. Can somebody say amen? Amen. I can feel it in the room. The very promises that have been made to you, that were supposed to encourage you. For some of you, you've been taking it through an unfaithful, a fearful heart, and they've become burdens to you. They've become the very thing that you are pretty sure that you can't overcome, that you can't do it. He promised it to you. He chose you. He called you. Consider Genesis 22 verse 15 with us. I'm just going to read for time's sake here. Genesis 22 and verse 15. It says this, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. You know Genesis 22 is about the faithfulness, the love and obedience of Abraham. The first time the angel called was to keep the knife from plunging in Abraham's son. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, because you have walked in obedience, because you're on the other side of an obedient act, you've not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you obeyed me. Come on. Abraham got to the other side of obedience in this test because he displayed his love for God through actual obedience. The reason that this is important and the reason that we're trying to talk to you about that, that kind of unfaithful heart that we have is because it's what keeps us from walking in obedience. We never actually show our love for Him because we're just afraid that we're going to fail. My friends, my family here today, this cannot be for the people here in this house. See, Abraham was victorious because he operated without hesitation, without equivocation, without delay. If you're going to make a mistake, make it because you're doing exactly what the Lord just told you to do. 
go forward. Get on the other side of obedience and see what's there. Abraham found out that day what happens on the other side of obedience. When you don't withhold your son, your only son, when you don't withhold your love, when you don't withhold your obedience, you know what happens? You get descendants that will be as numerous. They will have the quantity and the quality of the stars themselves. That's what's on the other side of obedience. And if you think that's just for Abraham, then you're missing what we're saying to you tonight. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. Your descendants, all nations will be blessed. Do you hear what's on the other side of our obedience today? We're supposed to be cut out of the same quarry as Abraham. We're of the same material that he is. Our faith must be like his. You can see that God has his power and promise ready to carry us to victory as we obey, as we're walking through it. It doesn't happen. If you're waiting for everything you need before you become obedient, you'll never get what you need. That's not faith. If you're waiting for everything about your call to be clearly spelled out before you, before you begin to move, then you're going to never get to your calling. It requires that whatever little part that you get, whatever part that may even seem cloudy, you begin to do it and you do it with all of your heart and you watch Him. You get to the other side of obedience in that and He makes His will even more clear. And then you do that and then you keep doing that and pretty soon you found out that you've accomplished everything that God has for you. This is what we are working towards tonight on the other side of obedience. Let's turn to John 21. John 21, starting in verse 3. It says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught zip. (laughs) Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Church, I want to remind you, first off, that this is post-resurrection Jesus here. This is post-obedient to death Jesus here. See, Jesus set an example of displaying his love by his obedience. The disciples were struggling, though, in laboring all night to produce something good. Has anybody uh, been struggling recently to produce something good? See, but like the disciples, many times we can be struggling to do something good and it to be be to no avail. But after they obeyed, they produced more than they could have ever uh, wished for or imagined. See, what will your daily obedience produce? You can be trying, you can be in the struggle, you can be running, but what happens when the Lord speaks and you obey? I bet you it'll look a lot like this passage that you'll produce more than you could have ever hoped to produce. But it happens on the other side of obedience. Let's look at verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, I love that moniker, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. 
Don't you love that about Peter? Oh, it's Jesus? Boom, out in the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. They had caught all the fish. Peter totally abandons the boat and just gets to shore. For they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. I've got a little slide that kind of depicts this for you. And I want you, I, we want to leave it on the screen here just for you to see it. I don't know if you can tell from where you are, but Peter has jumped out of the boat. The men are behind him pulling in the catch of fish. By the way, church, you do realize that this wasn't the first time that they were told to cast their net somewhere that they had already obviously tried before. There's something about your reoccurring obedience that should give you the confidence. This is not the first time that it happened. They had seen it before. They had been told to do something. They did it and they couldn't even hardly haul in the fish the time before. They had seen this happen over and over and over again. Is there anybody in this house who's done and had and seen obedience and what God does through obedience in your life? See, that recurring obedience is supposed to show you, I'm on the other side of this. If you just do what I say, no matter how difficult, no matter how long, there is going to be victory in your house. There is going to be victory in your life. See, at the beginning of discipleship for these men in Luke 5, they were told they had been fishing all night. Jesus came and got in one of the boats. There were two boats. That Simon Peter had. They were cleaning the nets. Mending the nets. Jesus set out and sat down and began to teach the people. Luke 5. You can read the story. I know you're familiar with it. Then Jesus looks at him and says. Cast out into the deep. Because you're going to get some fish. I don't know if that was Jesus just being kind to Peter. Because he let him use his boat. I think there was a lot more involved in this. Peter sets out, he says, cast on this side, look, we've, we've been fishing all night, we hadn't caught anything, but because you said it, we're going to go do it. So much so that they're like, need the other boat to come. It says that there was so much fish that both boats almost sank. And Peter runs to him, falls at Jesus' knees and says, I'm a sinful man. See, Lord, I even did what you told me to do, but I had unbelief. I was like, we've already been fishing all night. Peter realized that his unfaithful heart was sinful. And he came, and you know what Jesus' response to that was? I'm going to make you into a fisher of men. It was the inaugural event that caused Peter to become a disciple. See, on the other side of obedience, Peter saw the provision of the Lord. He found his purpose on the earth and he began to walk in the power of God. Are you with me tonight, church? We've just got to get to the other side of obedience. If we can just get to the other side, if we're not waiting on the front side of obedience, but we're getting to it, we're getting through it and we're accomplishing it, you will find your provision. You will find your purpose in life. You will find the power of God, but it's on the other side. Somebody say other side. Other side. It's on the other side of obedience. That's where we got to get today. If you've been discouraged in your walk, you got to get to the other side of obedience. If things aren't clear to you, if you don't have the provision you need, you got to get to the other side of obedience. You can't stop where you are. But pastor, I've been doing this for six months. 
hey man, talk to me in about 60 years. Get to the other side of obedience and you're going to find exactly what you need. We've got to quit waiting on the, on the wrong side of obedience. Waiting for things to happen, to confirm, to deal with our unbelieving and our fearful heart. Come on now, God is going to be with us tonight to give us a, a provision that we need, to give us the purpose that we need, to give us the power that we need, but it's always on the other side of obedience. We have everything we need on the other side of obedience because God is who he is. See, what stuck out to me in this chapter and in this passage um, was verse 8 and 9. It says, The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. See, just painting the picture, putting yourself in the first time. They weren't far from shore. They were about 100 yards. So it, may, it takes maybe five minutes to swim that. What stuck out to me is that Jesus already had coals prepared. How many of you guys have ever uh, lit a fire before? You know, big bonfire. Do you get coals in five minutes? Do you get coals instantly? You know, you throw logs on the fire and they just instantly turn into coals? No. This shows forethought on Jesus' part. See, he tells them, hey, be obedient. And he's got coals prepared right here for the fish that they go and catch. See, what is the Lord waiting on in your life? He, he has so many good things that are prepared in advance for us. And he's waiting on your love. He's waiting on your obedience. He's waiting on your faith. Then he'll provide everything that we need to finish out the work. We don't know what we're missing. We don't know what we're missing. We have to be obedient because he cares for us. He wants us to get it right. He wants us to produce the fruit and get where we're called to go. This reminds me of Ephesians 2. What Gabriel's just saying is Ephesians 2.10. We're God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's got things that he's not only going to help you on the front end, but when you get on the other side of obedience, he's got even more for you there. Consider Second Peter 1. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. See, we have everything we need, but we don't find that out many times until after we obey. We have everything we need. We can obey and then go, oh yeah, I, I helped to rescue Egypt, uh, Israel from Egypt. Now I know that the Lord's with me. See, he called this by his own glory and goodness. Yeah. Because of his own name, he's chosen us. He's marked us. And we can escape the corruption of the world. We can overcome the world through our love of him. Church, in our last few minutes together, let's turn to Joshua chapter 11. Joshua 11, and we're going to start in verse 15. Somebody say obedience when you get to Joshua eleven fifteen. It says this, as the Lord commanded his servant Moses, 
So Moses commanded Joshua, and Joshua did it. Come on. <laughs> Joshua did it. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. So Joshua took this entire land. See, this is the point of the conquest that we're hearing. Church, this is incredible. Think about it in verse 15. The Lord spoke to Moses, Moses spoke to Joshua, and Joshua completed the task. What does that mean for Joshua? That means he didn't have to be the one that heard the original command for him to be able to do it. What? You mean when the Lord spoke to Moses and Moses spoke to Joshua, Joshua was like, yep, that's just as good as the Lord speaking it to me. Come on. Man, we got to get something inside of us. We got, we got, we, we're not looking for new revelation. We're saying, Lord, I want to make that revelation my revelation. I know you may have spoken to somebody else about it, but I got to have it for myself and I'm going to do it. I'm going to complete the task. I'm going to leave nothing undone that was told to someone else. Come on now, church. What kind of heart does that take in a man to go, yeah, I didn't get it, but I'm going to finish it. I didn't start it, but this is clearly from God and I will be one of the ones that helps finish it. I may not be the one that saw a vision of an arm the, the very, in 1993. See, I didn't see it. But I know the man who did. And I want to take it. And I want to make that vision mine. And I want to be the one that does it. I want to be the one that helps to complete it. What about you? You may not be the one that saw the vision of the yellow area called a swan. But are you going to help complete it? Are you going to leave it undone? Or are you going to go after it and get to the other side of obedience? This unhindered love that is shown from Joshua to God Himself by completing the task. This is an unhindered kind of love that we've got to have in this place tonight. Are you waiting to initiate every dream, every vision? Every... I, I don't know if I heard that from the Lord or not. Well then why is He speaking in the room then? Well, somebody else said it, so I'm not sure if it's for me. Then why are you here? I, is that part of my vision for my life? You weren't cho- You didn't choose yourself. He chose you. Of course it's supposed to be for you. We've got to have some men and women who rise up and are happy, who are joyful to be like Joshua and go, you know what, I, don't even, I didn't even start the vision. I, matter of fact, I wasn't even there the first couple of years it was there. But I'm, but I'm going to finish it. I'm, I'm going to be a part of and I'm going to work with on the, to get to the other side of obedience. Come on, guys. Hebrews 11.32 says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to, to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samsa, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, through an unhindered love, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Guys, I want to have an unhindered love like these men had. I want to conquer kingdoms for the Lord. Church, you know that in Revelation 2, it says, To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I give authority over the nations. We've been sharing this with you. This is our heart that we will have so much love for the Lord. 
That we will be driven, compelled by love to be obedient so that we can achieve everything that God has put within this group. Everything that God has promised to this group. Psalm 138.2 has an incredible saying in it. It says, I bow down towards your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Guys, every time we go up against something that requires our obedience, we have to exalt above all things his name, his character, his ability to provide for us on the other side of obedience and the word that shows us how to do it. Church, for our final verse of the night, we want to direct you to Nehemiah chapter 1. Everyone turn there with me. Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 5. Church, this is a straightforward, simple message for a Wednesday night. We have got to get to the other side of obedience. Far too many of us are laughing our way to the wrong side of obedience. We're overwhelmed by the very things that should be giving us confidence and liberating us, but we're using that as a noose around our own neck, a burden that we cannot carry, and the Lord has done the opposite. He's saying, I love you. I've promised it to you in advance. I'm telling you that you're going to do this if you'll just continue to love me and walk in obedience. Of course there's pressure on us, but that pressure is usually in the wrong way and it causes us to stumble. The example that my son shared at his work, the very thing that he was afraid of was the very thing that God had promised that he was going to take care of him. Nehemiah 1 and verse 5 says something that is just beautiful. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Man, just in case you forget that. See, that's one of the parts and the benefits of us praying through the tabernacle. Is we've got to remind ourselves constantly. If you're too quick on that first step, slow down. Do it again. Go back to it. Because you have to remember that the great and awesome God is the one that we're talking about. We're talking about the one who brings the dead to life. He can breathe His presence onto you and change everything about you and your children and your children's children. In a moment, He can change. He can promise and then carry it out. He can declare and then help you to become what He has declared. But God, I mean, I don't know how you're going to do that in me. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who do two important things, who love him and keep his commands. Church, I want to encourage you tonight. When you love Him, when you obey Him, this is your responsibility. This is what you must do. But He helps you. He strengthens you. He promises you. 
You must love and obey, not tell him all the reasons that you can't love him or obey him. But Lord, I'm a hundred. My wife's 90. How is this going to happen? If only it were a matter of age. If only it was just a matter of most of us in this room just going, I'm at an age that I don't know what I can do for the Lord. Well, there's some of you that that applies to. But most of us were busy explaining all kind of other reasons. The prophecy that came forth tonight during worship was about bringing victory. That he was going to strengthen, that he was going to bring victory. Don't say what you don't have. Don't tell us about the, how, how wrong it was the way that you grew up or the family that you came from or the situation that you were in. Stand up. Walk forward into that fire and know that God is with you. It's time for us tonight, this church, stand to your feet with me as we close. We're going to worship, and I'm just going to ask that you evaluate your own hearts tonight. That the areas that you've just kind of laughed off, that, well, maybe God can't do that. I mean, I know I'm not supposed to say that out loud, but it's on the inside, so it's okay. We've got to commit to get to the other side of obedience tonight, no matter what. We've got to commit to deal with the unfaithfulness, the fear that keeps us from actually doing what God told us and promised us that he would do. Man, I can feel that this is the right word for the people in this room tonight. (laughs) He's promised you. He's declared it. The only thing that will keep you from achieving it is if you don't get to the other side of obedience. It's not the word. It's not the prophecy. It's you committing to get to the other side of obedience that we have to zero in on tonight. We have to commit to the daily practice of honoring your covenant of love with him through your obedience. Come on, begin to pray with me now. Mighty God, that you would help us tonight. Lord, that you would help us, that you would move in this place tonight, mighty God. Lord, far too long we've allowed your promises to become burdens around our neck instead of the very motivation of our souls. Lord, that you've spoken and that you will provide. God, that you will explain and show and give the purpose. You will give the power, Lord, as long as we get to the other side of obedience. Lord, and you even help us to get to the other side of obedience. Lord, your provision and your promise is so good to us. Lord, help us tonight. Lord, to not look at it, whether it's a promise of a swan or the promise of what you've done in our own homes. Lord, but that we would stand in faith, that we would rise in power, Lord, and we would actually love you and get to the other side of obedience, motivated, compelled by love to do every good thing that you have put before us to do, mighty God. Lord, we love you. We honor you, Lord. Help us to commit to getting to the other side of obedience tonight.